Well, today is the tough stuff, which everyone's always excited about. I know you like it when it's the tough stuff. This is the teaching that most people, well, some people will struggle through. This is the teaching that when you've suffered hurt in life uh, and have been waiting to hear what am I supposed to do with that, this is this teaching. And if you'll hear it, and if you'll apply it, you can actually be free of some of life's greatest difficulties. It's kind of a long message, so I'm going to tell some jokes along the way to keep you awake. Just kidding, I'm not. I'm going to clap real loud in the microphone if I see you asleep. How's that? I'm not going to do that either. We are, we are making decisions. Because today is the day you can decide if you want to tackle one of life's most difficult subjects, and that is dealing with hurt that you've suffered at the hands of others, which in a certain kind of way, if we look at this, this is, this is a form of repentance. We think of repentance as, as turning from sin, but really we're turning, okay? So when you've, when you've suffered hurt at the hands of others, there are many times when that places a marker in your life, in your road, and you might take a different turn than you ever intended to from that point forward. And as we talked about with C.S. Lewis, sometimes, sometimes when you realize that you're on the wrong path, you don't keep moving forward because that doesn't help you. You turn around and you go back to the point at which you realized you made a wrong turn and you correct from there. That's repentance. But that also applies to dealing with hurt and things in your life. And we talked last week about the fact that the Hebrew word yada, meaning the root there, provides thank you and I'm sorry. Four of the most powerful words in the world are derived from the same Hebrew word. And they're both about, what did we talk about last week? Balance. Restoring balance in a relationship. Restoring what a relationship needs. Truthfully, I should say this. A relationship that's incredibly out of balance is not a bad one either. Husbands, your relationship should be out of balance to your wives. You should do many more nice things for her than she does for you. And you should never expect anything else. How's that? I didn't say that last week, but I, my, Kelly gave me a $5 bill to say that this week. <laughs> Just kidding. The hard part. You ready? The hard part. Sometimes in your life, sometimes in our lives, things happen. Bad things. And no one's going to say, I'm sorry for it. Nobody is going to restore balance, especially the person who did it to you. They are going to leave you with that. They're going to leave you Holding the bag, so to speak. And what's in that bag? A bunch of nasty stuff. Hurt and anger and sadness and animosity. And all of those things could be temporary. You could, you could choose to empty out that bag. Or your, your life can be forever altered from that point forward, like I just said. It may be altered by what someone does to you, or, or so it may seem, but ultimately, 
No one gets to have that level of control over you. If you make a choice. It all depends on how you deal with it. So, so basics, how do we deal with it? Well, let's start with a pretty normal place, a pretty normal place we find ourselves when we're hurt. What happens when you get hurt? You get angry. Now, anger is actually a secondary emotion, really, meaning that it actually arises as a response to the deeper emotion, which is, I'm hurt. You hurt me. You did something to me that really, really took a part of me, basically. And when someone wrongs you or does that to you, it's something you feel is unfair or disrespectful, it hurts you emotionally, which can then manifest sometimes often as anger because anger is a defense mechanism, primarily. That's what it is. It's primarily that. It can mask vulnerability and pain and can make you feel more in control and less exposed. It can make you feel that way. So someone does something, we get anger. And it's likely that that's just a manifestation of emotional hurt that protects this, it creates this protective response. That actually is very normal. It's not inevitable, but it's very, very normal. Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Avraham Tversky, he's a psychiatrist and a rabbi. Talk about a guy you'd like to talk to. He's an author. He gives a helpful, helpful look at some stages of anger. First of all, this manifestation stage. The feeling of anger, this natural reaction we have when something happens. I want to tell you a story. Anyone know what Lashon Hara is? Evil speech, talking bad about people. Anyone know who the master teacher against Lashon Hara is? His name was Israel Meir Kagan, better known as the Chofetz Chaim. He is a master. You read his books, you'll never want to say another word again. <laughs> because he talks about how powerful your tongue is and how much hurt it can do to people. But here's a funny story about anger. The Chofetz Chaim, he had a lot of disciples. Every, they would notice that he would go into the synagogue and pray regularly by himself. So one night, sneaky little disciples, they snuck into the sanctuary and they listened as the Hophetz Chaim stood before the altar and prayed. And you know what he said? My God, my God, help me deal with this anger. The Hophetz Chaim, the guy who is the master of not being angry. Because everyone gets angry. It's a natural inclination. It is, it is, raw anger is a physical state of readiness. It's, it's, as I said, in response to something usually. But you have an increased adrenaline secretion. You have an increased blood pressure. You have a heightened awareness. You have preparedness. You have power. You're, you're waiting. Like, and it just can instantly show up. It's a miracle of your body, actually. Neil Warren, certainly probably an evolutionist, but he makes a good point, an impressive gift which comes as part of our biological inheritance. I would say we inherited it from God, the creator who made us, but we don't have to talk about that. 
It's a survival tactic. It's a way to assert yourself. It's sort of a neutral state. It's a physiological and a psychological state. But then there's the next part. And what comes next after the anger wells up inside of you? What's about to happen? I don't know. That's up to you. The next phase is how you react to the anger, to the choice that you make. Some people, and you've met them, God forbid, you might be one. I have been for much of my life, and sometimes, sadly, still am. A person who makes a bad choice in reaction to anger, and it's not anger anymore, it becomes aggression. It is a revenge response. It is, uh-uh, no way, you're not getting one over on me. I'm about to rebalance this equation by completely belittling you, hurting you, worse. Whatever, worse. Your reaction to the anger is the choice you make, we decide. We might respond in statement, in in. in like I said, physical, but there's this aggressive revenge component that some people exhibit. There's another choice. What is the other choice? I don't respond at all. Very tough choice. We're watching a show. Uh, you know what a blue zone is? Blue zones are these places where people live like there are, what's it called, centenarians. These are people over 100. So there's a show on Netflix about blue zones, and Kelly and I have been watching it. And one of the places is Okinawa, Japan. You should watch this show. I, I'm only two episodes in. I don't know if there's any, like, nude scenes or cuss words or anything yet. So I, don't hold me accountable. But you should watch it at least because you learn about what makes a healthy life from these people who are living to 103, 104. But one lady's from Okinawa and she made this statement, I don't get angry. I don't get angry. That's a lie. But that's not how she meant it. What she meant is, I don't react to anger like that. Anger never gets me, okay? So you can make that choice. It's a hard choice to make, but it indicates, like the Chofetz Chaim story I told you, he gets angry, did get angry. But you have this sort of, you have this sort of um, cognitive control. And it's not that you're not angry. It's not that you're not justified in being angry. It's just rational thought that says, anger is not a choice. Aggression is a choice. No, down, boy. But the tricky part is, there, even there, we're not done dealing with the anger, are we? Because where is it going to take up residence from there? Are you going to pack it in your little bag that you carry along with you all the time? I didn't say anything to her. Believe me, I wanted to say something to you, but I didn't. I tucked it in my little anger bag. And I'll just keep that because I might need to dig into it one day. That's not, that's not helpful. But the thing is, you can be aggressive or you can ignore and you can still have your anger bag. There are plenty of people who are incredibly aggressive when they get angry 
and they still have a huge Santa Claus-style anger bag. And they're called hostile people. These are people that you just never want to be around. They're toting around such a big St. Nick anger bag that you just, you never know what's going to happen with them. They don't make good choices. But it's not that much better when you have the repressor who is also carrying around a huge load of anger. It's just like we were talking about last week about being imbalanced. This person is literally under the weight and they become a recluse and they become angry in their own way. And I want to tell you something. It's imperative that we deal with, I'm, I'm saying anger, but it's really, what did I say? Where does anger come from? Hurt. It's, it's imperative to note that when I'm talking about anger, I'm really talking about a second level emotion that represents hurt. So, so that retaining feelings of anger. You have a choice. You can choose not to respond, but what are you going to do with it? Okay. How long does it continue to affect you? Short time, forever? Here's a great Ecclesiastes for, uh, verse for you. You ready? Kaas, it says, anger takes up residence. It rests in the bosom of a fool. Okay. Key word, rests. That's to be taken very literally. Because what do we know from health today? High blood pressure. You know, people say, oh, golly, man, I went to the doctor. These, these stupid doctors. I'm a doctor's son, first of all. Don't ever say that to me. <laughs> I want, I, anytime you want to get really mad at the medical system, I want you to remember the last time you were sick and were able to go to the pharmacy and get an antibiotic and get better. Do you know how many people die from mosquito bites? I mean, yeah, it's not perfect. Anyway, you, sorry. Back. I don't know where I went. Um, to all our healthcare professionals in the, in, in the office, in the synagogue, thank you for what you do. Thank you. All right. The, the doctor, like, you, people are, are, are always sick. And they go to the doctor and they're like, well, your blood pressure, you, you need to make this thing. You need to just stop right there and let's do a psychological assessment of those people sometimes and see what they're really carrying around. Remember that I told you that sort of weird phrase, the issues are in the tissues. The body keeps the score. Do you know what this stuff does to your human body? Cardiovascular health. This stuff is killing you if you allow it. If you keep filling up an anger bag and you're toting around, your heart is suffering, not just spiritually, emotionally, physically, cardiovascular, your immune system is suppressed, you have inflammation in your body, you have a mental health impact, you have a relationship impact, you have a major quality of life impact. You can't even sleep, you have sleep deprivation. Not all of those, and he, somebody might say, well, none of that's me, and I'm super angry. Give it time, buddy. <laughs> but the question of the day is this. What do I do when I've been hurt so deeply, developed such anger from my hurt, from these traumatic memories, and no one is going to balance it out? 
There is no one. This person who did this is not lining up to talk to me. They're not reaching out. I don't care what time of the Hebrew calendar is. What do I do? I've been wronged and I'm angry and I'm hurt. And Rabbi, you told me that I can't be aggressive and you told me that I can't just suppress it, repress it. What do you want me to do? Act like it never happened? You want me to just flip a switch? How do we heal? We make a choice. It starts with a choice. We make a choice that we make for ourselves. We forgive. And that's where someone says, you have no idea what's happened to me. I'm not even listening anymore. You have no clue. No, I do. I've worked with a lot of people over decades from deep, deep places of hurt. So just keep listening. We forgive. But, but, but the relationship is out of balance. They have one up on me. They hurt me. They won't pay for it. Here's the hard truth. Sometimes they won't and they can't. They might be dead. They might be so far out of your life that you're never going to have the opportunity for any reconciliation or to hear them say those all important words, I'm sorry. You know, we always hope that there's this possibility of reconciliation, but sometimes, let's face it, there's not. So we ask a different question. We ask a different question. All right, it happened. I'm angry. I'm hurt. Who's going to suffer for it? Me? I've already been wronged. I've already been hurt. I'm going to self-subject myself to more agony and hurt? It's not rational, but emotions are not rational. That's not a good answer to say, you're stupid, just fix it. But think about it. Why would I choose that? When all I'm really in control of are my choices. Why would I choose that? But wait, but wait, but wait. You expect me to give some scumbag, loser person who, who did this to me a pass? You want me to just let them off the hook? That's what you're suggesting is the fix? Someone who could care less, they may even revel in the fact that they hurt me this badly? That's the solution? You want me to, like, to, to, to give them a gift? No, I don't want you to give them a gift. That's the misconception. I want you to give yourself one. I want you to give yourself one. A gift to you, an act of self-preservation, an absolutely appropriate time to Justin Bieber it. Love yourself. Love yourself. Give yourself a gift. There's no better definition than loving oneself is to protect yourself from a path of destruction that's self-imposed. 
Because when we peel back all the layers, that is it. Dr. Tversky, thank you. Forgiveness, he says, is not approving the action, justifying the behavior, reconciliation. It's not necessarily an apology from the, from the offender because like I said, sometimes that day never comes. Sometimes it's impossible. They never made it right. Left me holding that bag, holding it tight. But like I said, just think about it. Whatever you have, whatever the thing is or things, Allowing someone else to be in control of your thoughts and your heart and your emotion. You don't have to do that. Everybody hurts. Everybody hurts. And yes, time heals. But without forgiveness, here's what happens. The wound is only a scab and not a scar. And I hate to use this like overplayed thing, but let's talk about disgusting, gross scabs and scars for a second. Let's really implant this in your brain, okay? Time does heal, but if a wound is a scab and not a scar, the healing is incomplete. So here we go, scabs, temporary, right? Temporary, and, and what else? They're very, very sensitive. You ever had or like a really bad scab and in the middle of the night you roll over and like all of a sudden it gets ripped and you're like, ah! <laughs> or anything, you, something's healing and all of a sudden, <laughs> it's a horrible pain. And the whole thing starts all over again at that point. Scabs, they're, they're tender, they're easily torn off, they're painful, we're very aware of them. Scars, not usually tender once they heal up. I mean, maybe, I'm not a, I'm not a medical professional, but they're, they're permanent. You don't hear someone say, ouch, you ripped off my scar. They're there, they're just there. And certain situations can sometimes make a scar more obvious. I mean, literally in your skin, pigment changes, but for the most part, we don't pay attention to them. They're part of life. They're part of our story, whether we like it or not. Now consider your hurts in that light. Shall our hurts be as scabs or scars? That could be a good line in a song. It's, it's a, a, an emotional wound takes time to heal. There's no question. That, that's, that's real. It's raw. It's tender. It's prone to be re-injured easily. But don't we want to see it move through that healing process and become something we learn to live with? It's always there once it moves from scab to scar. It's always there, but it doesn't monopolize our attention. It doesn't even get any merit or focus. It has none of our energy, except for very rare moments. As a scab is healing, it can keep you up at night. It throbs. It's uncomfortable. It has to be cleaned and dressed and addressed. And, and then through the care we administer to that, it heals and it gets better. We provide care. And again, to be very, 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 very clear, what I'm telling you about forgiveness and will tell you and conclude this thing in a minute is this. I am in no way suggesting that you leave here today or right now you sit in these pretty purple chairs and say, doggone it, Rabbi, you're right. I made a choice. 
I'm not angry anymore. This is work. This is hard, painful work, and it takes time, and it may take a lot of prayer, and it may take professional therapy and counseling, which is a-okay. This is not easy, but it gets better when we go through the healing process and we have a scar, but we don't wake up every single morning and say, oh, let me check my scar. It's part of you. It's just part of the story. They're part of the journey. We can't forget them. We remember the injury. And possibly, maybe we remember a lesson learned, but they, they're not allowed to make us angry or cause us further hurt. So the question is, scabs or scars today? No one, no one wants either. But, but life deals you injuries. Life, people, it happens. So scabs or scars. You may have a lifelong issue that's still scabbed and is constantly getting ripped off. You say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. I, I don't want to confront this even in my own mind. I'm certainly not ready to let it go. Well, you may never be ready because it's painful. That's the truth of it. Who likes to subject themselves to incredibly painful emotional journeys? Gabriel does. Good for you, buddy. That'll make you tough in life. But sometimes, listen, it's necessary. When are you ready? You ready for the answer? I love this. I can't even remember where I found it. It's a quote that's been in my famous quotes file forever. When are you ready? When you no longer harbor fantasies of revenge and when you no longer the experience it, when you no longer expect the offender to make amends. Let me try that again. When are you ready to forgive? When you no longer harbor fantasies of revenge and when you no longer expect the offender to make amends. You're ready at least to begin the journey, the freedom of forgiveness, the gift to yourself. Listen, we talked about the ultimate balance last week, right? Teshuva. It has to be. It's a, it's a commandment. Not really. We can't. It's, it's, there's choices. I mean, we have to make the choice. But if we make the choice to, to go through this process, do it the right way. And part of the right way is coming to this place. Coming to this place. Forgiveness seems very different than, than confession. And forgiveness is a commandment. How many times in the, in, the, uh, app, in the Gospels does Yeshua talk about forgiveness? A lot. It's a commandment. But it's not actually that easy. I think the reason Yeshua talked about it so much is because he knew how good it is for you. He knew that life is better with the freedom of forgiveness. But the final way, you know, of, of making forgiveness is really, it, it's another confession, and it may only be before Hashem. But nevertheless, it's, it's the re restoration of a relationship to stand before God and say, you know what? I'm forgiving them. God, as I stand before you, I forgive this 
person. And it doesn't mean we forget, and it doesn't mean we forget the scars, as I just mentioned. It doesn't mean we release them from responsibility. Dr. Tversky's words, it doesn't mean we approve the action. It doesn't mean we justify the behavior. It doesn't mean that there's going to be this incredible reconciliation. But God hears it, and he joins with you, and he weeps with you, and you go forward with him with relationship that is restored for you, and that is powerful. And that is a form of confession. And there's really hard to say those words. You know why? Confession, right? We talked about how important it is to say it out. Unspoken is undone. When you have thoughts in your mind of, oh, one day I'm going to forgive. I, I, I think I have forgiven, and it's all in here. When you give it life, when you speak it out into the world, it takes on life. I mean it. I'm saying it. I forgive. And that brings to mind, just very briefly, brings to mind the bedtime Shema. Anyone familiar with the bedtime Shema? It's in, a, it's in any traditional Siddur. It says these words. Every night before bed, I hereby forgive anyone who has angered or provoked me or sinned against me physically or financially or by failing to give me due respect or in any other matter relating to me involuntarily or willingly, inadvertently or deliberately, whether in word or deed, let no one incur punishment because of me. That's quite a way to go to bed, isn't it? Psychologists tell us that the, the things, the, what you put in your brain five minutes before you go to bed often is the thing that influences your dreams. We already talked about how you wake up in the morning. This is a really, really important thing. But listen, I know that some people in here have been through unbelievable pain. Trauma that most of us could never even begin to wrap our heads around. I know that. So much pain, damage. And I never presume to teach you about, just get over it. Come on, make a choice, say it out loud, just move on, toughen up, get over it. That's not in any way what this is about. But if, if, if that's you and you've had horrible relationship experiences or tragedies in your life that are just inexplicably painful today, let me tell you something. You're still here. You haven't thrown in the towel. You're still here. You have a life to live and you have the opportunity to do that and it may not be easy and it is painful and it's part of these days of alul and scabs and scars. But that's what I'm talking about. A choice is just to get started and do something with it. So the, this sort of, you can't stop what other people do. You don't control that. Only God does that. So you ask him every day and night, protect me from adversity, from enemies. But in the instance that someone does get through and we experience those feelings of hurt, the challenging experiences of, of, of healing, and then the incredible freedom of forgiveness, and not that it never resurfaces. It's a scar, not a scab. It can remind you of a painful time, but it's okay. It might make you tougher, more compassionate, quicker to forgive others. There's any number of things. So this all comes down to one, back to where we started, teshuva. Can it be commanded? No. 
But if you're going to do it, do it right. Stop sinning, abandon the sin, regret the sin, confess. That was about going to others, but I'm telling you there's some power in the confession of forgiveness. To put it out there, start the journey, make it very real. And the toughest, toughest part of the conclusion or the, of that process, the conclusion is this confession you make to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. I'm going to forgive it. Aphiomi is the Greek word that we find in New Testament. Forgive, yeah, let, but, but a lot more than that. Send away, send forth, expire, leave, go away from, disregard, leave it behind. Go to that place in the road where your injury took place and maybe you filled up your anger bag and take it there and pull down that black banner and, and, and raise your beautiful colored picture of your new life and dump out all that crap that's in that anger bag and say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to forgive. And here's what comes next. And it's my favorite thing. From the sage, Mac Goddard. And I've talked at Malchut about this. I've talked about it here. Mac Goddard, I won't bore you with the whole story, but Mac's way of dealing with difficulties and difficult people in his life, he had a famous phrase. Mac Goddard was the pastor of this church before it became our synagogue. Beautiful, beautiful human being who taught me these words. I'm going to let that be your problem. And you know what? You can say that to God, too. I have many, many times. God, I'm going to lay it down. I have a lot of anger. I have a lot of hurt about this thing. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to let that be your problem. Because he can handle it. And you know what? The same thing I said about allowing someone the control to be in your head, to be in your heart with something they did that they're never going to make right. Mm -mm. No way. I'm going to let that be their problem. It's theirs, not mine, because I'm not letting my life be corrupted by this. I'm going to let that be your problem. So let me just conclude with this story here. You want to change? Do you need change in your life? Maybe, I mean, I, I always think when I'm preparing these messages, again, I might be speaking to one person. I don't think so in an area like this because I know that if you've lived more than, I don't know, five years on the earth, someone probably hurt you pretty bad may have been on the playground, may have been your mom, it may have been a coworker. God only knows, it may have been a criminal who did something just unspeakable to you. And it's for everyone to hear these words, because I think we all have it. Shlomo Karlbach, who is actually the rabbi, cantor in Israel, who, 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 who he wrote hundreds of liturgical and, and Hebrew songs, one of which is Mim Kom Malkeinu. That's a Karlbach tune. But Shlomo Karlbach 
came to the U.S. from Austria as a teenager. He was a refugee from the Nazis. And every so often, he would go back to Austria and Germany to give concerts, and people would ask him, seriously, how can you go back there? How can you go back there and give concerts? Don't you hate them? The Austrians and the Germans? I mean, don't you hate them after what they did to you and your family? And this is how Reb Shlomo would respond. I only have one soul. If I had two souls, I would gladly devote one of them to hating the Germans and Austrians full time. But I don't. I only have one soul, and I'm not going to waste it on hating. The sage Jim Henson, <laughs> the creator of Big Bird and Cookie Monster, said these words, please watch out for each other and love and forgive everybody. It's a good life. Enjoy it. So we're drawing nearer to the conclusion of Elul and on the cusp of Rosh Hashanah in just under two weeks, we'll consider the power to change in our last section of this message and the, or this series and the amazing blessing awaiting us on the other side dressed in our white robe. We'll talk about that next week as we journey toward the high holidays. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.